Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Those numbers which we usually do on Friday, they're actually not as bad as the national picture would have you believe. I had to laugh at Ronan Lynn last night trying to keep the papers from printing disaster stories. They're full of disaster stories this morning, the papers that will be in lockdown until the end of June. But in actual fact, that, that's not what he said at all. I'm not going to say that we need tight restrictions because the headline tomorrow morning is an effort says no easing and restrictions. And so, you know, uh, we need to be cautious. We need to, what, we, what we need to do is avoid another wave of this disease between now and June. That's all he said. That's all he said. Papers are full of stories this morning. It will be completely locked down till the end of June. People driving mad altogether. Not going to happen. It's going to be tough, but we're not going to be in a full lockdown until the end of June. I can't see it happening. Right. Where were we? 1857 Now, because of the pandemic and the lockdown and all that, driving instructors and people trying to get driving tests have really been struggling over the last 12 months. It's been... Very hard to get driving lessons, very hard to get driving tests because, of course, you couldn't take a test and you had to take a test with the windows open and the whole situation very, very fraught with difficulty, which means that now there's a crisis looming in car insurance. Jonathan Heher is the MD of coverinaclick.ie and he joins me. Jonathan, good morning to you. Morning, Peter. We are, explain how this has come about, but we are in a crisis now heading into 2021 with people trying to get car insurance. Well, I suppose everybody knows that the driving tests are behind. We, we always have a delay in it, but with the lockdown and with the restrictions that are in place, um, only essential workers are sitting their tests at the moment. Um, and when we come out of that, there's going to be an even, uh, the, 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 the built up amount of people that are waiting to do it, and we don't have enough driving instructors. Um, to be able to get these people to fulfil their test. From an insurance point of view, the knock-on effect for these people is that they're currently being charged on a provisional licence, or learner permit, sorry, um, rather than a full licence, and at least half of them would have passed their test by now, which would have resulted in a lower premium. So for the next 12 months, and even going for the next 24 months, some people will be charged on a learner permit when they would have passed their test and um, they'll end up paying up to maybe a thousand euros more for their insurance through no fault of their own, because you know in normal times they would have passed the test. How quickly will your insurance go down once you pass your test? Realistically, immediately. So ninety percent of insurance companies will give a refund mid-year if you pass your test. 
but the big one would be when you come due for renewal. So, it, you know, the best example I can give is a 19-year-old who starts out today as a learner permit is paying a huge price for their insurance as a first-time driver with no experience. They get that one-year no-claims bonus. They come due for renewal. They will have a lower premium on the one-year no-claims bonus. If they pass their test during that year, it gives them so much more options because there's insurance companies that won't quote for learner permits. So, you know, you'll now move into a bracket of where there's more competition. There, instead of having two or three insurance companies quoting for a learner permit with one-year bonus, you now have five or six quoting for it. And that competition drives your price down. So the real benefit is being able to move after your first year of insurance with the one-year bonus and the full licence. It could save you a thousand euros. Wow. So there's a ticking time bomb effectively here. It's not necessarily that there's a ticking time bomb. It's just that this is going to go on and people are going to be paying more than they should be. Because law of averages, half of these people would have passed their test. So they are being punished really for something that's outside of their control. In terms of a solution, you know, unfortunately, we don't have one, except we'd maybe ask the insurance companies to look at the rate that they're applying to the learner permits and potentially look at the people who uh, managed to complete their 12 lessons. Um, and knowing that those people would have gone going forward, at least half of them would have passed their test and possibly pass a reduction onto that cohort of people. You're, you're because, asking insurance companies there, though, John, to, uh, Jonathan, to trade in something that's doubtful and, and they'll be averse to doing that. They, they will be, but the fact is that the drivers that they have on board are not any different. The only difference is that in in on a piece of paper it says they're a full license holder, um, sorry, that they're a learner permit holder rather than a full license holder. So what we're saying is that they could look at the learner driver rates and overall if you treat it as a book of business, so you imagine that there's 100,000 learner permit holders out there and they're all insured at the moment, look at it as an overall rather than looking at the individual one and look to reduce the rate for learner permit holders proportionately. Mm. Not applying the same rate as if every single one of them have passed their test, but to look at it as if, if, if a percentage of these have passed the test, what would the collective premium for all of these people be? Okay. Do um, a bit of actuarial maths, in other words, here. It's above my pay grade, but something along those lines. Yeah. Um, because, again, look at the instructors. I mean, we have to also feel sorry for the instructors because when this comes back out again, the instructors are going to be sitting in cars with people. So we are going to need more instructors. That's that's that's, that's for sure. Like, There's no doubt about that because mm. the instructors have to sit in cars currently with people. Um, you know, they're not being tested before they get into the car with the instructors. So it's a tough job for, 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 the, for the people who are working in this business as well. Yeah, there's a wait list, I guess, regardless of any time, whether good times or bad times, COVID times and non-COVID times, there's a wait list for driving tests. How long is that wait list likely to be when we get out of this? My best guess is going to be a year for people to wait. And I, I think that the, the, the sad part is that I think the, the people have complained over the years, you've probably heard us about the waiting times for driving tests. I think that we were doing really well prior to COVID. Um, you know, we would see people who come to us as first-time drivers. They would pass their test during their first year. They weren't waiting for a year for the test. They, they, it was possible to have your test done in a couple of months if you had done everything right, completed your lessons and all the rest of that. So um, the knock-on effect also is that there's going to be, um, you, you can't apply for your test until you've completed the 12 lessons. Yeah. So the driving um, instructors as well are going to have to get people out on the road to do these 12 lessons. I remember when the 12 lessons came in, uh, Jonathan, finally, a lot of people said 12 lessons, that's an awful lot, it's a lot of money, it's this and it's that and the other. Has it shown what we were told at the time it would show that if you have these 12 lessons that you can certify with a certified um, teacher, driving teacher, that in actual fact it does have an effect on your insurance? It, it, it does have an effect on your insurance. 
we give a discount to people who've completed the 12 lessons. So if you come to us, we will give you a discount for having that certification to say you have your 12 lessons done. Um, the insurance world has has changed slightly. We'd still like to see the, the rates reduced further yeah. because learner permit holders now, you know, they're, they're not really driving without a full license holder in the car. It has become a bit of a taboo. Go back about five or six years ago and no one really paid attention to that law. That has changed. So a learner permit holder will nine times out of ten have a full license holder with them. They are on the road to completing their 12 lessons. And in our opinion, they're nowhere near the risk they were 10 years ago before the 12 lessons were introduced or the rules were enforced with regards to having a full license holder in the vehicle with you. Okay. All right. Leave it there. Thank you very much. Jonathan Heher, he's MD of Cover in a Click.ie. A year to get a driving test once all of this is over. At the moment, of course, it's for essential workers, essential services. You can get one. A year. But what he's saying is to the insurance companies, look, can we now take it into account that these people have done their 12 lessons, they've got their certificate for their 12 lessons, they would probably have passed anyway. A fair proportion of them will pass. So can we do some actuarial mathematics? This is the kind of stuff you have to have an A in honours math and you're leaving for. Can we do some actuarial mathematics and make a prediction based on the average? I'd say the chances of that happening now 1850-715-996. Let me do the numbers before I move on. Because they are good. Last, we're, we're very depressing stuff in the papers in the last few days. And particularly this morning, the papers full of predictions that will be in a heavy-duty lockdown until the end of June. You can't rule it out. You can rule nothing out with this blasted virus. But that's not what Neffet said at all. Let us remind us again of the deputy... Chief Medical Officer uh, Ronan Glynn and what he said about June. I'm not going to say that we need tight restrictions because the headline tomorrow morning is Neff, it says no easing and restrictions. And so, you know, uh, we need to be cautious. We need to, what we, what we need to do is avoid another wave of this disease between now and June. Now, if you look across Europe, you will see country after country, 16 regions of France, including Paris, going back into a hard lockdown for a month. And trust me when I tell you, they do lockdown like we don't do lockdown. We don't do that kind of lockdown at all. They're going back into it for a month. Italy's gone back into lockdown. Country after country across Europe gone back into a lockdown to try to prevent another massive wave. In actual fact, we're doing a lot better than Europe, even though we seem to have flattened out a bit with our reduction of the numbers nationally. I'll do the local numbers for you later. Nationally, we have kind of flattened it a bit and we're not going down as fast as anybody would like to. But again, here's what Ronan Lynn said about the next few weeks. As we move into June, uh, we'll be in, in, in a far, far brighter and better position than we are at the moment or that we've been over the past year. That's with numbers under control and more vaccines rolling out. So I'll give you the local numbers a bit later. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. If you've had youngsters going back to school this week and it's all so far so good 
I think the last batch went back, wasn't it the 12th or was it? No, no, it was this Monday, the 15th, they went back and they had Paddy's Day off and they finished out the week and they're up to Easter now. And then the rest of them, which is the rest of secondary school, is due to go back after Easter on the 12th of April. Now, everybody's back at this stage, bar the rest of secondary school. There's a suggestion now that maybe we should shorten the Easter break. Yeah, what, Peach? Reading from The Independent this morning, it was a massive relief when the second batch of children returned to school, but it's tough for the 200,000 who stay at home. In our house, despite not being overly enthusiastic on Monday, it was clear that they were very content. But here's the thought. They're supposed to finish up for school holidays. Uh, It usually is the three days before Easter. So you'd finish up probably on the the spy Wednesdays, they used to call it in the old days. Well, now there's a suggestion that we don't do that. And in fact, they don't finish until closer to Easter itself. Mary McCarthy is a journalist with The Independent. Mary, good morning to you. Hi, PJ. How are you? Why that suggestion? Do you know, I felt a bit mean writing that because it does seem a little petty to say... um, shorten the holidays for the kids but you know I think it's in their interest PJ because they're just back like I I actually had one back on the 1st of March and then uh, two back on the 15th and I can see from them they were so sick of their remote learning and they weren't sick of physical school like there was kind of a new lease of life you know but anyway I, I actually did think about it but it was only when a parent contacted me and said that her school in Waterford this is what they had done because um, the holidays are up to the school authorities, uh, the actual school, so they can arrange their days. So let's say that you had snow days um, or there was some other reason why you lost a day during the year. Uh, the department, the guidelines basically are that school has to finish on the Thursday and the Friday before Easter. Yeah. So technically, they're ele- they c- if school wants it, they can open uh, for the 29th, the 30th and the 31st. And not being too petty about it, PJ, but... The East, the Christmas holidays were actually extended uh, by three days. Uh, I think everyone's kind of forgotten that because it's all yeah. been such a, you know, kind of chaotic uh, experience. But it, it, they were extended. So, you know, by rights, you know, and I know teachers are tired because I, I didn't want to... Because bear you know, in I mind, Mary, want... that, you know, the, the teachers have not been off for the last three months. They've been trying to make those Zoom classes up and, and keep the children educated at home. So it's not like they haven't been working. Oh, yeah, 100%. You're dead right. And I have a lot of teacher friends, and they have been working their socks off. But the thing is, I just think it's in everyone's interest. Obviously, teachers might not be fully, fully happy to go in, but, you know, like the kids, maybe they could use those days for catch-up or even on the Wednesday, like, to have a fun day and take them out. And, like, like on... On paper, it looks like this is a selfish move, but I just want a peace and quiet in my house and I want the kids in school. But, you know, like it's a different Easter this time around. Usually uh, what we do is there's a local football camp. So I have three boys, they'd head off to that. Um, And then my daughter, there's, uh, like we'd usually, we'd do something, there's some kind of a three-day camp for her. And then we'd meet cousins and like we live quite near the city centre, PJ, and there's hardly any, there's, very small city parks that are packed and we can't leave our 5k um, so you know it's not like we can head up to Wicklow to meet our cousins 
and go for a hike or go out and do picnics and stuff like we'd usually do. We're, we're kind of going to be stuck in the gaff. And like my partner's still working. We've got a small house, no garden, one toilet. It's like, it's grand. But at the same time, two weeks just feels it's not going to be fun. Whereas 10 days, you're kind of like, if you can break in the first week, they're into Wednesday. You know, the kids are, are happy to be back. And, you know, I just, I, I kind of think it's, it's better for them as they, well. They finish yeah. on the Wednesday, don't they, generally? No, I, well, usually they would, there'd be two full weeks. So that's oh. what they're doing this 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 time as well. They're just, they're following the usual calendar. So there's two full weeks. I'm not sure when they'd finish. Like, the Easter would fall differently, but yeah. they'd always have two full weeks, you know, the way. But it's just... The uh, yeah, they, they standardise it. I'm just m- remembering here. They standardised it a few years ago. So a lot of schools now take the full week before and the full week after Easter. Uh, yeah. In, in, in yeah. older times, or some schools would keep the kids in until maybe lunchtime on the Wednesday. So yeah. an awful lot of them are exactly. off for the two weeks. So they'd be finished, say, this day week for a fortnight. And your suggestion yeah. is that they stay in school until the Wednesday, which is what used to happen in older times. Yeah, exactly. And there, there would have been, I mean, there was a, I, I asked a teacher about this and she, she says it has, she can't remember it in her, she's been teaching for 25 years and it was 20 years ago, I think they had a few snow days. So then they knit them off the, uh, they kind of shaved them off the Easter break. So you can't, but you know, there is one point, uh, PJ, um, and for the poor old souls still at home the first year of the fourth year, um, you know, there's no way you could do an extra three days of remote learning because they're all frazzled. And like, ideally, like, I think they should be back, you know, even if they could come back in for three days just to get acquainted with living in the real world and, you know, leaving their house and meeting their friends. Mm. But obviously, for public health reasons, they may not want to do that. So just give them the two weeks off. But the fifth years now are going in. The sixth year, I'm told there's Irish oils and music oils and stuff like that, so it's a bit complicated. But could the fifth years go in and then all primary to go in? And I know it's not going to be popular with teachers, but look, sure, what are the teachers doing anyway? It's not like they can go home or it's not that they can go away or, yeah. you know, the way, like everyone's like a sitting duck. So <laughs> um, it could be. What you're them. saying effectively is, Mary, you have nothing else to do anyway. You might as well stay in school. And look, but that's, that's a bit now, you know, that's a, a bit binary. But. I, I just think overall, maybe it's better. And the, for the kids, they could maybe run, run over some of the things, just basic stuff, you know. I mean, I, I think I think my kids are sort of okay, but I probably, you know, my daughter would be fine, but I'd say my two sons, they could definitely do with a few days just revision of what they've been doing through the year. And for teachers, that would make their life a lot easier because what, what happens with kids, if they don't grasp the basics, um, they, they can't progress, you know. So if half the class hasn't grasped, uh, something, like, you know, a long division or whatever. Like, they're not going to move on to the next thing. So it's tricky for teachers. You know, I'm hearing from teacher friends that it's tricky because some kids have kind of forged ahead and they're grand. And then some kids, they clearly just have fallen behind and it's been tricky right. for parents, you know. Let's, let's put it out there and we'll see, what, we'll see what listeners think. Mary, thank you very much. Mary McCarthy is a journalist with the, the Irish Independent. Idea being, most of the schools would be finishing up this day week for the Easter break. And her suggestion is to go back to the old way, right? The old way, which was that you stayed in school until the Wednesday, the Sky Wednesday. I think it was Noel Dempsey actually changed all that when he was Minister for Education. He changed all the holidays to standard dates. He also tried to do away with the Lord Mayor's Day in Cork. That didn't end well for him at all. But he, 
he he's leveled everything off. So we now finish up on this day week for two weeks. Mary's suggestion is that because they've been off school so much since Christmas time, that actually let's just stay in school until the Wednesday. And even though she didn't like me saying it, she said, sure, it's not like they've anything else to be doing anyway. They can't go outside the 5K. They can't go to see their cousins in Wicklow. They can't go anywhere. So they might as well stay in school and do a bit of revision. Learn a bit of long division. Any thoughts? 1850-715-996. Can't see the smallies being overly happy with it. Just on the numbers, Morris says, thanks for being positive. Instead of agreeing with everyone else that we're in lockdown until the end of June, you said it as it is. Congratulations on celebrating the positive. I am celebrating the positive with the big caveat on it. It's very much in our hands how positive it ends up. Very much in our hands. We are in control. And I think if we realised that and and acted upon it, we'd be helping ourselves. Like, we're not helping ourselves with stuff like what happened around the lock on St. Patrick's Day. Let me look, though, before we do anything else. Before, I, I shall move on. I'll hold the numbers. The numbers are good. Cork's numbers are very good, lads. Very good. Just as a little teaser, our five-day average as of today is 16. Now, that's way, way down. Way, way down on where it was a month ago. And you don't want to know about where it was two months ago, but our five-day case number average in Cork is way, way down. Uh, We've had had a very good week. I'll do them in in a while. 1850-715-996. It's been a while since I chatted with my old buddy John Carmody from A-R-A-N, Aaron, the Animal Rights Action Network. John is an environmental campaigner, obviously. And I, 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 Remind me again, John. Um, he is one, isn't he? Yeah. Remind me again, John. You're vegan, aren't you? Well, yeah, and I suppose um, I have been for quite a while, actually. Yeah. Um, when, when did you turn vegan, I, I suppose my whole life turned around really when I was a young kid, about 14 years of age, uh, PJ. It's when I've seen uh, on the front cover of the Irish Daily Mirror, actually, a newspaper that I still work with to this day, actually, on stories. But it was Canada's sea hunt. There were it was dead bodies strewn across the eyes, skinned, and it just got me, it got okay. me thinking about the whole use and abuse of animals. And it, okay. it obviously laid a little planted plant a seed in my mind, and it kind of got me going from there on, you know. Your latest press release is calling on us all to give up meat. Well, here's the thing now. Um, your, your listeners are going to wake up to some headlines saying that, like, meat, Irish beef meatballs, basically there's an alternative out there now that could actually cut um, greenhouse um, carbon emissions by 90%. It's a study that doesn't come, PJ, from animal rights campaigners. That's something we've been saying since the 80s and the 90s. We've been shouting from the rooftops. We've been outside of butchers up and down the country. Um, and finally, the studies are coming out and they're in the newspapers today and they'll read about the fact that, um, believe it or not, meatballs um, and meat-free meatballs could help um, challenge climate change at a time when we need it. Well, most. the United Nations, and I remember this in 2019, the United Nations said we should eat less meat and we should become, I think the term was used, flexitarians, as in have a vegetarian day in the, in the week, have a fish day or more than one fish day in, in the week. Not stop eating all meat. They said cut down your meat. 
Well, here's the thing. Would you be good for all of us anyway? Absolutely. And and that's happening. But the days now of tinkering around the edges with this issue are long gone because we can't ignore it anymore. Uh, We're in a crisis at the moment and and I I still kind of ponder do people or even governments even... um, think that we're not, as a matter of fact. But the reality is is that eating meat is causing havoc on the environment. For instance, right now, PJ, as people are sitting at their breakfast table listening to this uh, show and they're eating their good old sausage and rasher. Yeah. Um, Can't be, it's like... Well, they're literally staring at a sentient being who wants it, just like a dog or a cat, to live and to be free of pain and suffering. How do you know? You say, I've, had, I've had this one with you before. Like, you're, and, and you're not behind those posters around town, by the way which I find offensive. You see, here's the thing, and we can't run away from this anymore. Uh, The whole conversation nationwide, PJ, has shifted in the direction of more awareness because we can't get away from the reality. We can't get away from the undercover investigations that animal rights campaigners have been able to document. Back in the 90s, as I said before, um, we'd have to send out big, chunky tape cassettes to people to show inside of a fur farm, let alone inside of a factory farm. But these days, with just one click of a button, we can see right into all these factory farms and slaughterhouses all over the world. And more importantly as well, we don't need the reports to have a bit of cop on to know that a pig, a cow or a chicken or even a fish, those poor creatures, God love their blessed souls, um, are not even talked about anymore. But we know now, just like dogs and cats, that they can experience fear and pain and suffering. They want to love and they want to live. And, and that's where the conversation is going. And that's why this new story that's after coming out today about the meat-free meatballs um, that we hope uh, farmers will take up and, and, and listen to. They kind of have to, as a matter of fact. I was saying this morning, actually, PJ, and there's a lot I can say on this one. Um, they have to sit up and take notice of this issue. Yes, we are a very big agricultural-based country, but there is no future in animal agriculture um, for sure. It's just too destructive on the environment. I'm sure that people like Peter Hines, a dairy farmer who's a regular contributor to this programme, would argue long and hard with you about what you've just said. I'm sure. I I, I don't know him personally, actually. I I think I've seen him mentioned in some media articles and stuff like that as well. And, And I get it that those people have different views and they've been reared and they've been brought up in that whole world and that whole lifestyle and, and I'm not going to wrong them I'm not going to blame them for any of that um, but I think that it's it's like for many years when we talked about the use of animals in circuses for instance a lot of those in the industry couldn't wouldn't have dreamt of having um, a circus without animals but that's all changed now it's all you know we've turned the corner and all that and I think farmers will have to follow suit it's not because of John Carmody and other animal rights campaigners PJ it's because the facts and the science is on our side but more importantly as well Climate change is real. And but hold on a while now. Let's no come back to the facts of the science. We had the 2019 UN suggestion to us all that we cut down on our amount of meat for our health, because eating red meat seven days a week isn't good for you. We know that. For our health, vary your diet. For our health, cut down on the amount of meat that you eat. And it has a payoff environmentally. We read that. But no one ever told us, don't eat any meat. We were tinkering around the edges with that one as well, to be honest with you. We Man were, is an omnivore, John. Man requires the protein in no, meat. We are no longer living in that cave age era. It's not a cave actually. age. That's a well, biological fact. It's, it's meat not puts anymore. meat puts meat puts nutrients into your body that you cannot replace out of a bottle or out of or out of the out of the ground. It's, 
the science is on the side of this one now. It's Again, it's not animal rights people that are saying this. It's a well-known fact and it's documented. There was another couple of reports actually out in the last couple of weeks um, that meeting is, is, eating meat is causing havoc on our health as well. Um, it's, it's well documented that it can lead to many illnesses like heart disease, cancer and stroke and all those other illnesses that are killing so many of us in their filling up hospital beds as well. And that is the reality. It's also proven as well that like a vegan diet or meat-free is definitely of more benefit to people's health as well. Can you hear me? Am I, I can hear you quite loud and clear. Yeah, you're okay, okay, okay. So, and I, and I, you know what? People don't need to listen to what I have to say. The, the facts and the is out there right now for just it's just a click away and I think this story that's after coming out and it was by scientists at Trinity College in Dublin and I don't want to be kind of you know throwing too much scientific uh, facts and figures from this report uh, to your listeners this morning but the, the reality is is that it's kind of backing up what we've been saying for a hell of a long time and again we're just happy and delighted that this um, is now a conversation this morning about meat free meat balls who would think of that well no can I, can, I, can I poke your can I poke you a little bit on that one because as I walk through the, the, the shelves of my supermarkets and I can't argue with you the plant based meat free stuff there's a lot more of it out there now and some of it you hold your breath while I say that some of it's actually quite tasty. Let's be fair. But why why do we have to look at uh, meat-free chicken advertised? Like, it's not meat, so stop calling it chicken or stop calling it pork or stop calling it meat. It's not flipping meat, so stop calling it meat. A meat-free meatball is not a meatball. <laughs> well, that- I... I- if it helps the consumer who wants to still have that connection um, to to what they've always only been ever used to, then then we're happy for people to pick up that meat free product. And I mean, look, I know. oh yeah, but don't, don't call it a meatball. Call it a plant ball or a veggie ball. Don't call it a meatball. It's not a meatball. Well, that's that's true as well. Burger King have a, a vegan burger actually, in this which is shop. very tasty. I have to say. Oh, Come here, before I let you go, John. Um, sure. I, I I was going over again this morning, and look, people can decide what they what what they want. And I think a lot of people, to be fair, and I've noticed that change in listeners over the last couple of years, a lot of people have a cut their meat consumption for oh, yeah. their own health, and b have started to look down the road of plant based. For as as a substitute, I don't know whether it's about animal rights or whatever, but they are. There's there's more of it going on, and that's 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 a fact. I'm eating probably less red meat myself than I did three or four years ago because Brilliant. I think the last yeah. red meat I had was uh, Sunday. Yeah, you know. So I mean, that's and that's Sunday to Friday in my house. Like that's that's a long that's a long time. Animal Rights Action Network, Aaron. About time to change the name, isn't it? Knitwear for animals. <laughs> Well, no, I suppose what I do these days is, you know, I speak, you know, on me, I just commentate now these days on media issues and stuff. And, you know, I work with campaigners around the country. Um, John, I'm taking the mickey. I'm taking the mickey. Aaron. But you know, Aaron Knitwear. Animal wool. Those were the days. But you know what I would say to you on this, actually, PJ? Yeah. It's not about, um, we're, none of us are here to try point the finger at anyone. And, and I'm certainly not here to look down on top of anyone. I'm far from perfect. But I think it's all about being more conscious in this day and age with our purchasing decisions and our choices. That in every every time we go to the supermarket or we pop into the local gas store on the motorway, we've got an option to be crude or to be kind every time we're picking up a sandwich. Um, and 
now going vegan in this day and age is as easy as choosing a different oil in the grocery store and that's what it's all about just becoming a little bit more conscious and being more aware of the other beings that share this planet with us right. as well Alright John always always a pleasure to catch up and to speak with Sonny Pinland John is one of these great guys who you know we, we might be totally opposed in view but you can have an argument with John and never hold it against you God I wish there was more Johns out there Speaking of vegan actually did you see it's in the news this morning did you see who's after going vegan now uh, your man Joe Riley, the, the the guy who's doing time for the murder of his wife, Rachel, remember? Yeah, he's gone vegan now in jail as well. That's in the papers this morning. Why that's in the papers, I really don't know. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show, The Opinion Line, with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. I John is the kind of vegan I talk to all day. I, I really enjoy chatting with John because we have a bit of banter in among all the good discussion. No, the, the kind of vegans that get on me wick are the ones who'd give rabbits the vote, and believe me, they're out there. 1850-715-996. The numbers then, briefly, right? Today is Friday, the 19th of March. Cork's five-day average case number is 16. That's the lowest it's been for a while. Cork's five-day average, 16 cases per day. Our 14-day caseload, and we had some, we had some big days in there, 262, bringing us down to about 48 per 100 Thousand. We're over 500,000 in the city and county. So 48 per 100,000 is our present number in Cork City and County. Go back a month and that number per 100,000 on the 19th of February was 116. Go back two months. Are you ready for this? To the 19th of January. And this is how far we've come in eight weeks. And every time we see a bit of doom and gloom with regard to the numbers and how long restrictions might last for and all of that. We need to remind ourselves that on the 19th of January, two months ago today, our 14-day figure per 100,000 people in Cork City and County was, are you sitting down? 1,388. I'm not joking you. I'm not misreading that. 1,388. So in eight weeks... We've gone from a 14-day figure of 1,388 per 100,000 in Cork to 48. If that's not progress, I don't know what is. But let's go back to this time last year, to the 19th of March 2020, when our 14-day figure, and they only started recording them, I guess, in early March, was 105. 21 per 100,000. So we're not back to where we were this time last year yet, any by any manner of means. We're also nowhere near where we were in July. In July on the 19th, our 14-day figure was 15. 15. Not per 100,000 now. 15 cases. And in June, and this is where we need to be, in June of 2020, on the 19th of June 2020, our 14-day figure in cases now, not per 100,000. I'll tell you what that is in a second. Not a lot of love in the room for the idea that we would shorten the Easter school holidays. Not a lot of it at all. 
I'll get to those. And on, on the vegans and eating meat and John Carmody and all of that. I do see, though, the Taoiseach is in town today. He's got an event in town today. And I see uh, reported on our social media that the sign is gone again from outside of Debenhams. You know the one across the Debenhams front door in Patrick Street? The Taoiseach has let us down badly. That was stolen a few weeks ago. We were talking to the union about that, the workers, and they got another one and it was tied up. But that's gone again overnight, they're saying to us. 1850-715-996. Now, where am I going here? Yeah, we were talking yesterday to Mary Hickey um, about her son, Andy. Uh, about you know, And Andy has uh, additional needs and he's got no secondary school place coming up in September. And he, he's got no hope of one at this stage, even though they're going to battle on. Uh, they've known about it for years, obviously. He's and his friends are, are one section, but down in East Cork, they have a major problem as well, that they now have up to 100 children left without school places down in East Cork. This, again, I think, uh, Fine Gael TD, David Stanton, uh, joins me. This is, again, down to the whole uh, failure to develop carry tool or get a date for it, isn't it, David? Good morning. Is it there? Here is your call. Yes, David, um, got you. Yeah. Are you there? Yes, indeed. Hello. Yeah. Well, as I said, last year we had a similar, similar conversation around the same time, and at the end of the day, um, you know, there were plenty of places made available. And uh, as far as I know, every school child that wanted a place got a place last year. Now, this year I'm a bit more concerned about it. I've been in touch with, on a regular basis, with all the school principals who are working extremely hard on this, as is the ETB and um, the department. Now, what's going on is, uh, Carrick Dool is about to start, I'm told. Uh, some works are already on the way there, but the, the school is in temporary accommodation and the, the teachers and staff are doing are working well. It's a great school. The one in Middleton has, the new extension is open. The ETB school in Middleton has the extension is open there at long last, and that will provide some relief. Yeah. But on top of that, what's going on, you see, there are a whole lot of things happening. I mean, you have a number of issues where, like every year, a number of parents, understandably, will apply to more than one school to you know, increase their chances of getting a place. Yeah. And in some cases, a small number of cases, sometimes um, parents will, children will be offered a place in a school and they'll hold that then, yeah. hoping to get a place in another school. This, yeah. was a, this was an issue prior to the last election. I remember it very well. You raised these concerns in the Dáil this week. Any reassurances, anything back from the Minister? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I did raise it because one of the things that, that I'm concerned about, PJ, and I said in the Chamber the other day to the Minister, and I've been writing to the Minister constantly on this and putting down power into questions out over the last period, as of my colleagues, um, one thing I'm worried about, PJ, is that some parents may have applied to only one school. And if that school is already chock-a-block with children, and, and even if they do get extra places, it might, they, they may not have enough space. If that's the case, then those children, because they're not known in any other school, might have a big problem in September. So I, I raised that with the minister. I said, look, this might be a hidden issue, and, and that needs to be drilled down into by the officials and by the inspectors to get to the root of it. I know that the department is working to offer to increase accommodation in all the schools anywhere, well, most of the schools that can, that can have, have increased accommodation. So I would be, uh, I suppose, confident is, is maybe too strong a word for it, but hopeful that we will have this resolved before too long and that every child will be off the place. Because mm, I do remember that. during the election campaign, you remember it yourself, it, I do. it was one of the biggest issues we had yeah. here on this yeah. programme was pa- parents from all over East Cork, very, very worried about but the situation. It, but, but it doesn't then, seem to have improved. But it, you see, every year, PJ, that was the case. And then what happened was, when, when, you know, at the end of the year, all the children got places. So but, but, but when we discovered, when it was found out how many places were required 
then the place were made available mm. and which I got a place. The, the stress that, that, that parents are under and children are under right now is the problem. Well, I know in, in Limerick, they have a kind of a central application system for all for secondary schools. They all play to one office and then um, they, they, they have a fair idea then of what the, what the needs are very quickly. Mm. That's something Because as you'd appreciate, it's very hard for parents to plan you know, parents who are trying to save up and buy books and buy uniforms. No, they don't even know what school, what books the, the children are going to have. So yeah. they kind of need they need answers and they need them. They, they need them they, now. They do, and that's why I raised it, PJ, and I've been raising it constantly. I've also been talking about the issue with respect to power planning, uh, because Middleton, as you know, is planning they're planning to build a lot more houses here, and that will need more schools, more primary schools, more second level schools. Uh, I've been supporting the uh, educate together. Uh, um, mm. The request for a second level school and so on. But, you know, from the time the department says go to a new school, it does take quite a few years before a school actually opens. Of course. Just, on, I, that, on that, sorry, um, we know that there was supposed to be an announcement, or we were thinking there might be an announcement on a start date for Carry Tool. Is there yeah. one yet? Yeah, what we're told is that the tender documents will be ready by the, 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 the first quarter which is the end of this month, which is kind of now. Now, I, I, I understand that last week or the week before, um, the go-ahead was given to start the road network, which is which is necessary you know, to gain access to the school, which is part of the planning requirements. So I'm told the road network is about to start, which is very positive. Okay. Uh, and that will mean then that I would be hopeful that the tendering will that done, it's, it's, the experience that down here has been with the new education middle school that was built and with the new grade school that was um, uh, well, certainly the CBS, they move very quickly. Okay. Uh, so it, it, it could move very, very fast. But they're building three schools down Kai Tool, don't forget. Oh, Second yeah, I know that. I, know. I, just wanted, I just wanted to bring it up with you, being, being a TD for the area, David. And we've discussed it at length over the last couple of years on the programme, and it was an election issue, and even after the election, it continued to be an issue. I'll leave it there for now. David Stanton for the Gale TD for Cork East. <laughs> The Opinion Live with PJ Coogan on Quartz 96 FM. We're back in the Merc. Thank you very much to Jerry Cassidy and the Engineering IT Department at Cork's 96 FM. We're back in the Merc for the rest of the morning. Back in Studio One. Thank you, guys. 1850-715-996, the number to call. The text of WhatsApp 083-396-9696. And the email, opinion at 96fm.ie. Now I know where all the buttons are. Now I know where all the bits are. Now I know where everything is. We'll have a normal couple of hours between this and midday. Some of the comments held over, I'll get to shortly. Uh, but John said on the COVID numbers, he said, you said the numbers would be up because of the rally in Cork two weeks ago. They're not. So you should apologize for your scaremongering. Well, first of all, John, I apologize for nothing. I told people they shouldn't go to that rally. I told people that march should not go ahead under level five. I stand over everything I said, and I apologize for absolutely nothing. The fact that the numbers are not up nearly two weeks ahead, uh, that's just a bloody miracle. When you consider what happened down there two weeks ago, it's nothing short of a miracle. I'm delighted to see it. The only other thing is that some of the characters that were hanging around that day anyway wouldn't bother their arse going tested. Don't get tested. So you really don't know, unfortunately. But no, I I stand over everything I said about that protest that should not have gone ahead. 1851-1921, in fact, the 19th of March, 1921. It's a very important date in Cork history, in Irish history, in military history. 
of Cork and of Ireland because it is indeed the anniversary of the Crossbarry ambush down in West Cork. And much has been written and spoken. Books have been written. Documentaries have been made. Whole museums have been constructed around the Crossbarry ambush. And it's a source of fascination for historians, obviously, but military historians and I guess for every person born and reared in this wonderful city and county of ours. And a new book is coming out later this year. And to mark the occasion of the 100th anniversary, I'm joined by Trevor Collins, who's spent a lot of time researching and preparing for that book. Trevor Collins, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. It's great to be back on your show. Thanks Delighted to have you back. I, I watched a talk that you sent us, a recording of a talk about Crossberry, and I think the amount of detail is phenomenal. So what I need to do today is just touch briefly on it, and we'll talk about the, the forthcoming book, and on today, the, the 100th anniversary. Why is it such an important event in our history, and I suppose, how did you become involved or interested in it yourself? Um, the, to answer the first question, it was the single largest battle between the Volunteers slash Flying Column and the British Crown Forces in the history of the Ireland's War for Independence. And, you know, there were a lot of, you know, the Flying Column at the time were using guerrilla tactics, which was new. And that in particular was actually copied by other military groups throughout the world subsequently. But as for a single event where you had 104 Irish volunteers versus the might of the Crown, and it is fair to say, based on the numbers that are there, that the Irish volunteers won the battle. So, so that, that in itself is one, and there were there were reversals. There were, you know, under Tom Barry and others, you had Kilmichael. So there were many successes. Unfortunately, only a short time previous to the Crossbarry battle, there was what you would call a reversal at Upton, where things didn't go the Volunteers' way. You had Clonmelton in Middleton. So you know, it was a very very difficult time. Mm. Um, but I think, that, like, I, I'm part of the team with Dermot Begley, um, he would have written. The Road to Cross Barry, a very successful book, and we're part of another team with Nulo O'Farrell, who's actually in the UK, who has researched mm. some amazing information from the Crown side of things. Where does your so, own interest stem from, Trevor? I, I, there's an on-running joke um, that I blame Dermot for my interest in history. Um, Dermot and I worked on a few projects in Bandon over the years, and Dermot is a lover of history, and I think slowly but surely he changed the way I thought on that this history basically is gives us the country that we have at the moment. Yeah. And it was the bravery of these people 100 years ago who fought. They lost everything. Many lost their lives. Their families were attacked. Their houses were burnt down. They were beaten up. They were harassed. And we, we don't see that picture. We don't see that. And it, there, there's an amazing set of resources over the last few years have come to light, in particular the Bureau of Military History, uh, which is something I would encourage all your listeners ju- just to have a look at it. Mm. Um, some amazing stories. And the, you know, it comes from their modes and it is um, it just it gets us to appreciate the country that we have here at the moment yeah. but also the bravery of the people from 100 Absolutely. years ago. Very briefly, Trevor, uh, what happened between the 18th and 19th of January 1921? Summarise it for me. 
you had it started with the volunteers trying to attack the crown by uh, Shippool Castle um, that didn't work according to plan they made their way towards Crossbarry they stayed so there's a long story there but uh, on the 18th of March they stayed around the Crossbarry townland they were in billets there they stayed in various houses um, with a view then that they would actually plan an ambush on the road between Cork to Bandon, the, the, the main road that you would see from the monument right. heading towards Brinning. Unbeknown to them, the Crown forces had received information that the, the area to the north of them, Ballymurphy, was a major area of considerable interest for the Crown forces, and that's where the 3rd West Cork Brigade had their headquarters. So... They did, one group didn't know where the other group were. They were close enough to each other. Slowly but surely, the volunteers realised with the trucks and the noise that there was something amiss, something happening nearby. Um, on the morning of the 19th, Charlie Hurley, the officer in command of the 3rd West Corp, he was killed, actually up at Ballymurphy. And a, well, a few hours later, there was a group of lorries came from the abandoned side towards Crossbarry, and they kind of broke the plan a little bit but they arrived a little bit early and um, they then were ambushed and as that ambush took place the crown came down from the Ballymurphy side of it and the volunteers were nearly surrounded mm. they were they could have been wiped out but you had the bravery of so many people that were there um, the initial part of the battle took place by a set of houses Harold's and Beasley's houses and then it moved on to and this is where it, I think the story gets fascinating with all the different accounts, there are all different variations. Yeah, and I mean, it was an com- incredible victory for, for a, a group that were totally outnumbered. Like, are there variations between the story as you now know it from your extensive research and what we were taught to believe? Yes, I, I think, you know, with, with the with the information that Dermot and Nuala and I sort of, myself have gathered, there are major differences in accounts. And I think we have to accept that. We're, we're not making a judge and jury definition. Or the purpose of our book is to actually um, gather all the information and let the reader decide. So you would have from the Crown side of it, they would have said that there were 150 Crown forces. From the volunteers' accounts, you had up to close to 1,500. Others, the numbers were down to 350. It is fair to say that there was considerably more Crown forces there than the volunteers. The, the, at the size of that, that's where the different opinions come in. Mm, mm. And how many volunteers were there in total? One one hundred and four. We're certain. Um, we're certain of that number. We are certain. We even have their names. And you also actually had as well. There were scouts that were on duty, in particular from the Inishannon scouts, had brought them towards Crossbarry. Then you actually had the local scouts were keeping an eye on things. But not only do we have the names, we have the names of the section commanders that were there. You know, we've all heard of, of General Tom Barry, Liam DC, yeah. but you had so many others, and there were some amazing characters. But they were also very, very brave. And the one thing as well that was an eye opener to me was, unlike the Crown forces. You have to remember that the Irish um, had no resources. There was no pension. They, if they got injured, they had to try to fix themselves. They weren't guaranteed, um, you know, if they were injured or they were incapacitated, that they would be saved by the state. They had everything to lose. What had they in uh, terms of weaponry? I mean, were they outgunned? I suppose they were. 
Uh, Yes, they were, because all of the guns that they had, basically, they didn't have the resources that the Crown had. So over the previous couple of months, they had been attacking barracks, they had been taking guns, they were gathering the ammunition. Uh, There are some lovely anecdotal stories of the volunteers who were up by Balancholic, and they would buy ammunition from the Crown forces who were ready to to, you know, deal at a price. And it's ironic that some of the ammunition that was actually bought from Balancholic barracks was actually used at the Battle of Crossbury. Right. So let's talk briefly about the book that you're writing with Dermot Begley. Tell us about him, because he has a very strong connection, obviously, and tell us about the book. I, I, I have to say I'm lucky enough to have Dermot as a very, very good friend. So the, the history of what we did is about two years ago, I just happened to mention to Dermot that with the 100th anniversary arriving in two years' time, would it be an idea that we actually take the book that he wrote, which is a, a bestseller, and maybe update with new information, bring in a little bit of a slight, you know, bring slight different kind of new, new information that had come to light, in particular from the Crown side. And typical Dermot, he said, yeah, anything that actually helps people get an understanding of history, that helps tell the story of Cross Barry, he mm. was all for it. And then, um, thankfully, we actually brought in Nula, who's based in the UK, and she was actually able to source some amazing information from the Crown sources. Mm-hmm. And we, ha- we have, been, like, there's, there's one document called The Record of the Rebellion. And again, it's from the Crown side, but it gives a very interesting perspective. Yeah. We're not saying that one side is right and the other side is wrong. That's important, isn't it? Because, there. you know, the problem with looking at history, and particularly history that is so close to home, and many and painful for many families, you know, and their their descendants. That there's there's so many different nuances in it. There's there's a story as told by the crown. There's a story as told by the volunteers. There's a story as told by people who were living down there trying to get on with their lives. And and somewhere in there is the actual truth. And it's important that any book reflects all of that. Yes, I think. And one of the mysteries of the, the Crossbury battle, or sometimes known as the Crossbury ambushes, I'm not too sure will we ever get every single part of the detail. For, for example, there was one of the volunteers, was a gentleman by the name of Pete Monaghan, who died. But he actually had left, he was a deserter from the Cameron Highlanders. And he had left the Crown, he, for various reasons. He was picked up by the volunteers and he became a member and he was heavily involved in actually putting together the mines that were used in many of the events that took place around the West Cork area. And he died and people, here we are 100 years later, and they don't know his real name. Crikey. Now, Dermot is the son of a man called Flower Begley, the Piper of Crossberry. Tell us briefly about him finally. So, Flora Begley was heavily involved in the events of West Cork and the, you know, and the War for Independence. And during the battle, um, a short time just prior to the, the battle, um, a day or two, Flora had been asked to actually bring his bagpipes. And then, during, once the battle started, he was actually in one of the yards of one of the houses and he played the bagpipes during the battle. And you have to remember that at the time, normally bagpipes would have been played by you know a, a much larger group of military, you know, personnel on the ground. And maybe just maybe that might have kind of put, added to the fear of God that was put into the Crown forces when they heard um, a piper actually, you know, playing the, the bagpipes. Um, so that, that in itself was something unique about any particular, you know, battle in relatively modern warfare. Well, well, and and Dermot, Dermot is, is his son. The book is out when? 
Oh, dear our sorry, PJ. I would say, look, we're, we're going for next autumn. The original plan was that we would actually have it for now. But the amount of information yeah. that we have gathered, um, we're probably a victim of our own success as to what we have. And we have to just start collating it. But trying trying to so edit it down so it's a book and not an encyclopedia is going to be the problem. Very much so. But what has also happened is uh, what we have discovered, there are other stories, for example... The common man, what the women in the area have, have done and what yeah. they did in their story, it hasn't been told. Right. Um, so maybe, just maybe, you know, with your listeners, next time they're actually passing by a monument, the idea that actually someone somewhere actually, you know, died for the country, maybe do a little bit of history about it. it, it, it you know, there's so many fascinating stories, yes. not only in Cross Barry, but in West Cork. Well, I mean, Tom Barry's story in itself made an incredibly powerful play in the Everman a number of years ago. I mean, every, every character from that part of our history has a fascinating and very convoluted story. Always good to, to catch up with you, Trevor. I wish you well with the commemorations and indeed with the book when it comes out. Look forward to seeing it. That's Trevor Collins. Today, 100 years ago, the Crossberry ambush. There's many a story, there's many a book, there's many a tale has been told and there's another book coming out probably with more new tales in it. But uh, we just wanted to mark it this morning. 100 years ago today uh, was it a, a band of volunteers, a band of hardy volunteers beat off the forces of the crown. Some say it was a hundred and odd of them against a thousand and odd some say it was a hundred and odd of them against a hundred and odd. But they won a hundred years ago today. 1850-715-996. Flora Begley was born in Castletown Roach. Is it Castletown Roach or Castle Roach? Castletown Roach. And his son has written a book. That's Dermot. Flora had a shop. That's that's Dermot that we've just been speaking about. Castle Roach. Don't know where Castle Roach is. I know where Castletown Roach is. I don't know where Castle Roach is. Thanks. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96FM. Right, been holding over the comments uh, because it's easier for me to see your comments in this studio than it was in the other ones. We started this morning talking about the school holidays. The schools are due to finish this day week for Easter. And Mary McCarthy, journalist with The Independent, was suggesting, do you know what, they've lost so much time and they're only back in there a week and a bit. Why not just cut back the Easter holidays by three days and do what they used to do years ago and that is not finish up until the Wednesday, Wednesday lunchtime what we used to call Spy Wednesday back in the day Uh, not a lot of love in the room for that idea I have to say kids have had their heads in laptops the not so fortunate have been stuck in phones doing virtual learning, the last thing we need is to upset their routine with changing school dates now they have the rest of their young lives to catch up. Uh, teachers are exhausted. My sister is one of them. I see how hard she's worked behind the scenes. Kids are looking forward to packing away everything for two solid weeks and getting out in the fresh air with no thoughts of schooling. Then, I think it's a brilliant idea, if I had my way, to be like England and cut the summer holidays as well. And I believe similar measures have been taken in major European countries. 
all the children are going to lose out. The bright ones will pick up, but quite a few will need key points taught by a teacher in person. There really is no thought going into the cause of the child who tries but really needs professional help. Antoinette says they can make any suggestion they like, but my kids will be taking their Easter holidays. They're doing online classes every day and need the break. And so do I. And I think, to be honest, a lot of parents are probably frazzled. Parents who've had a few smallies home since before Christmas, and they're only just after getting them back into school. The the last thing they want is to have them on a shorter Easter holiday. Easter holidays are long. We should approach this as an exercise to watch the numbers too, as I believe it's not a coincidence that schools reopening has a direct link I'm so upset, by the way, this is a teacher called up, a very upset teacher. I'm so upset at this idea we're doing nothing. We've never tolerated that, by the way, teacher or any teacher representative. We've never tolerated that notion on the opinion line, and we never will. Because teachers work very hard anyway, and they worked even harder when they were off trying to get online stuff done for their pupils. PJ, the education, the education unions hold their conferences around Easter. That is the only time they can do it. That's from John McNamara. Yeah, the teachers' unions always have their conferences in the Easter holidays, but they're always after the Easter weekend. They're usually between the Tuesday and the Friday. They all last two or three days, and they all overlap up and down the country. I know I've covered them all over the years. Good morning on this beautiful West Cork sunny morning. Just to say, I think the Easter holidays should be left as they are. People must remember when students weren't in school since January, they were working all day online. So they need a break. My two Living Cert students are looking forward to the two weeks holidays. Thank you for reading this, says Josephine. Just on veganism, with a few comments on that, talking to John Carmody about John reckons we should all give up meat anyway to save the planet. The narrative being pushed here is idiotic. The only reason to stop eating meat should be animal cruelty. Agriculture has a very minor effect on the environment in comparison to the airline sector. We're a little dot of an island. Even if we all went meat-free as a country, it would have no major effect on the environment. The pollution China causes is more than enough for the whole world. Thanks, says Luke. 1850-715-996. few more when I get back to them. Bernie says, never mind, on Cross Barry, Bernie says, never mind beating off the forces. What we need is someone to beat off the government. <laughs> That's far more important. Not doing, obviously, not doing that militarily. Barely watched this. Yeah, thanks. Castle Town, Castle Roach, no, Castle Road, Bandon is where the Begleys are from. I was mishearing that. Castle Road in Bandon. 1850-715-996. We're going now, though, much further afield. We're headed for Nairobi, Kenya. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. 
So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Now... Certainly not a lot of support for the idea of shortening the Easter holidays. Not at all. Not at all. Right. A teacher from Ballincollig has launched an ambitious educational plan from her new home of Nairobi in Kenya. And this is a plan that she's hoping will help communities right across Africa long term. It's called the Foundation of Education Innovation Africa. And it's Emma Gleeson's little brainchild. Now, it's a very early stage of development, but it will eventually help youngsters all across Africa to develop 21st century skills and prepare them better for the future. It's a fascinating project, but Emma has started it in the middle of a global pandemic, which in itself is fascinating. And it's why I wanted to catch up with her. So, Emma, of all the the strange things to do, during a global pandemic. I wouldn't have reckoned that up sticks and move to Kenya would have been top of anybody's list. <laughs> How did you end up doing what you're now doing? Uh, strange story, that PJ. <laughs> so I suppose the plan had been in place uh, since well before the pandemic. Um, I'm in education for a long time and I left Ireland probably eight years ago now, back in 2013, uh, where I was teaching in Ballincollig Community School just to, I suppose, take on a a new global adventure and uh, live and work abroad teaching for a number of years. So I've been teaching in international schools um, in Colombia, Portugal, and most recently with Think Global School, which is a travelling boarding school based in the US, mm-hmm. uh, where we live and work in, in a different country and continent every three months. Yeah. It became a combination of a love of education and a serious dose of travel bug. 
Exactly. Well, you know, travel has been in my blood for a very, very, very long time. It's not like it was my first opportunity to see the world. Um, I've been traveling extensively for quite a while, but yeah, it was more really a, a love for education and a serious passion for education mm. that, that led me to take that job. Um, so I suppose, yeah, after three years of being one of the senior curriculum designers of this project-based learning curriculum um, yeah. and implementing the curriculum as one of the educators, I I really learned a, a colossal amount. Right. Now, who supports the work that you do? Because I know you have a GoFundMe ongoing. <laughs> so who supports it? Um, Emma Gleeson supports it <laughs> at the moment. Um, yeah, look, as I said, driven by my passion in education, I, I, I made this some people would say crazy move uh, to come out here and do this. But because I have such a passion, there's serious drive behind the initiative. So uh, the hardest part being getting people that you trust on board in these initial stages. But effectively, everything is being is being self-financed at the moment. Uh, we've come to a stage now where we're actually in the developmental stage for our first pilot. So therefore, that's where, where we're looking for some seed funding. Uh, I suppose then when you're lucky enough to, to pilot uh, maybe three or four small two to three month programs, this is when really your project st- starts to take momentum and get recognition by some of the bigger organizations and fingers crossed then um, there will be bigger donors uh, and partners getting on board. So what you're hoping for really is that someone will, some corporate, for example, will see what you do and say, hey, I like that. How much do you need to keep it going and expand it? That's, that's the plan. Yeah, that's the plan. But it's also important to mention that when we hear the word charity or nonprofit, there's an illusion that basically like it's it's an old school style that you would you your whole model runs on funding, which is not sustainable in today's world. So therefore, the a lot of more successful nonprofits nowadays run their model on a social enterprise model, which basically would incorporate some strategy for gaining profit as well. For example, um, most recently, last week, one of the international schools here in Nairobi um, has asked me to actually run an international consultancy in project-based learning in their school. So these are kind of, uh, I suppose, other avenues where we can generate revenue going forward as well. It's a long time project. It's something you have to be really devoted to, I guess, to get it off the ground. Emma, what is Kenya like? For those of us who've never been there and possibly would never get <laughs> what is it like? I mean, I can't imagine a bigger contrast with Balancholic. <laughs> Yeah, you're quite right there, PJ. Um, look, Kenya is, it's a its a really, really wonderful country. Uh, why I chose Kenya to launch my project really was because it's the heart of East Africa. Um, to launch such a project, you need to really lean um, on the resources around you, <laughs> be it in the in the in the financial sector, the education sector, the tech sector. So, because Nairobi 
is is the is I suppose the cosmopolitan hub of East Africa where everything happens. It's why I chose to start in Kenya. Uh, Kenya is extremely diverse as a country, um, both. <laughs> Uh, the the tribal landscape mm. um kenyans are known to be very tribe proud uh a lot more so than any of the other african nations um but also as well just because of its geographical location the landscape here is absolutely mesmerizing mm. you can go from desert to to green tropics to the indian ocean beachfront like it's very 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 diverse to, mm. to the masai mara if you want to go on safari which is kind of similar i suppose to the serengeti wow. um yeah so it's 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 amazing you had that we have the image of come out the back door and and look over there in the distance and there's an elephant yeah, something like that <laughs> Well, I suppose, okay, so that's kind of the perception of a lot of foreigners in yeah. general that, that they have about Africa. They give the edge fact, of a city, do you? I, well, I'm in a city, but in fact, Nairobi has a national park with animals in there, which is surrounded by the city. So, right. in fact, there are a lot of wild animals in that national park. So, I mean, it, it, it depends as well, like, I suppose... There are parts of Kenya I've been to. Again, my my boyfriend is Kenyan, so you know I travel to his part of the country and like expecting, like I'm watching to see, oh, where are the elephants and where are the lions? And no, there's none. <laughs> Whereas then you travel like two, three hundred kilometers down the road, even less sometimes, and there's an abundance of these wild animals. So mm. it's quite special, you know. Sounds absolutely fascinating. Yeah, I must add as well, though, that like the the population, the Kenyans themselves are very vibrant uh, and they're a population of people who really admire themselves as entrepreneurs and they highly regard education. So, yeah, it's nice to be working in such a landscape, PJ. I'm sure. I'm sure it is. How have you been dealing with COVID over there? Because, you know, East Africa didn't escape and obviously as a major city, I expected Nairobi has had its share of lockdowns. Yeah, Nairobi. So I was actually here in the beginning of the pandemic last March. In fact, uh, I was here. uh, I flew in from Panama because at at that point I was working with Think Global School. So I made my way from Panama to Nairobi for for an education conference. So by the time we had landed, the the conference had been cancelled. But um, within uh, 24 hours of the first case, being identified here in in Kenya, they had an immediate lockdown, schools closed immediately, and there was a curfew brought in, a 7 p.m. curfew. So in the last year, I've spent, in that 12 months, I suppose I spent eight or nine of them in Kenya, and then the other three or four back in Ireland during the summer, Mm. um, which is nice. Um, But yeah, so their, their lockdown it has basically now comprised of of curfew still um, in place here, but it has changed. It went from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Mm. to 11 p.m. back to 10 p.m. Um, but yeah, there's definitely signs of COVID here. Um, you have to remember as well, though, from the, the monitoring purposes, because we're in sub-Saharan Africa, it's impossible to tell the number of cases actually on the ground like you would be able to in Europe. All right. So they, would, they don't record them like they do here, do they? 
per- personally, personally speaking, I don't think that they have the capacity to do that right. because of the lack of resources. Um, the, it is certainly their their hospital systems have certainly been pressed, and I've heard that through my own private networks. Um, but I mean, again, like in sub-Saharan Africa, there are a significant there's a significant percentage of the population who just can't afford to put their lives on hold like we can in Europe. So, I mean, life, if you arrive in Nairobi, come into Nairobi airport, make your way to the CBD, the central business district, you're not really going to even realize that it's lockdown. But I do think um, that their their curfew system uh, gave them a lot of leeway in the beginning. Um, but I, I think that that's gone now. I think people have become very complacent. Uh, they're moving around as usual. However, if you are caught outside after 10 p.m., like you will be dealt with harshly and you will get a fine. Right, right. So it's, 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 strict. it's strict enough. When was the last time you were home? I was home last in August. So I was very, very, very fortunate to get the lovely summer months and weather and spent most of it with my my mum, my brothers, my sister and their families uh, down in West Cork in Baltimore. Ah. So my mother's from Skibbereen. Ah. <laughs> yeah, so I was spoiled. It's, it's great to catch up. And as I said to you uh, before we came on, I have a better <laughs> line to Kenya than I sometimes have tequila. Yeah. And stay safe out there. And congratulations, you're doing some fine work. Yeah, thank you. I'd just like to say as well, if anybody does want to check out our project, it's on feiafrica.org. That's F-E-I-Africa.org. So, um, yeah, I really appreciate it, PJ. Hope all is well there. Uh, we're doing all right. We're, ma- we're managing. Thank you. Cheers. Take that's, care. That's Emma Gleason in Nairobi, Kenya. Uh, yeah, uh, F E I Africa dot org. She could talk so passionately about it all day long. It's incredible to see one of our own, as it were, uh, so full of ambition for education in, in a far flung corner of the world. Does the heart good actually when you think about it? Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Haven't mentioned AstraZeneca yet this morning, except kind of to say. Well, you were sort of told so when we were here Monday talking to Dr. Brint from UCC. Uh, And then last Friday when we had Professor Luke O'Neill on the show and the first rumblings of trouble or the first rumblings of discomfort about AstraZeneca were there. He said, trust the science, trust the science, everything will be fine. Dr. Brint said on Monday, trust the science, everything will be fine. There isn't a problem. And then yesterday, the EMA came out, in fairness to them, quick as they could, came out and said the vaccine is safe to use and continue to use it. They're still researching what happened with this blood clotting thing, but they are happy that it's not a major issue with the vaccine, that it's still safe, still very effective. The problem is, parts of Europe have started injecting again today. Some countries that had stopped injecting have started injecting again today. But listening to, was it Paul Reid last night or this morning, it's going to take us like it has to go to Nyack. So the European Medicines Agency said, everything is grand as you were, lads. 
It now has to go to NIAC, which is the National Immunization Advice. Yeah. It has to go to them. They have to have a meeting. Then they have to go to NEFET. NEFET has to have a meeting. And then they have to go to the politicians and the politicians. So we might get the AstraZeneca jabs back out there by, like, this day next week. Like, what is wrong here? Everyone has said, oh, it's grand. Great. That's great news. Lovely, lovely. Start jabbing there, lads. We're all good to go. Not here. Your health insurance, lads, is going to go up. Again. The couple of bob they gave us back last year because the private hospitals were taken over for the the COVID. Uh, (laughs) They're going to take that back off you. And more besides. Because it looks as if there's a whole rake of health insurance price rises on the way. A number of plans are being shelved and new plans drawn up and they will be more expensive. Some of the VHI increases could mean an extra €266 per adult per year. That's nearly a grand for a family of four. What the heck? Dermot Good, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. What is going on, Dermot? Yeah, I'll tell you, there's there's a few things going on here. So, um, the main thing is the insurance companies, I suppose, are, are looking ahead rather than looking backwards. And I think there's a uh, they've all expressed concern that the level of claims that they're seeing at the moment uh, is not a true reflection of likely claims. In other words, they believe a lot of people have deferred treatment, um, they postpone treatment, and they expect that, look, when, whenever the vaccination program, I suppose, is accelerated and we have a certain percentage, particularly, you know, most people over 50 vaccinated, they expect there will be a considerable increase in claims. So what they're really doing is they're basically um, they're working on the basis of claims projections for the next two years. So we've seen all the insurance companies increase their rates. Now, I have to say, PJ, looking at other insurances, I mean, I'd prefer no increases, but... The averages are still quite moderate, to be fair, in, in, in relation to other insurances. So, for example, VHI are going up on average 3% on the 1st of April. Now, their last increase wasn't, uh, it was back in March of last year. So, you know, if there was only a 3% increase each, each year, we probably, we probably wouldn't be too critical of that because, look, there's loads of new emerging technologies and new cancer drugs and even, even the cost of PPE and the cost of COVID tests in the private hospitals the insurance companies have absorbed all of that, but look, eventually it gets passed on to consumers. The only one thing I'd say to your listeners to be very careful of, people get misled by these average increases. So VHI's average is 3%, but like, for example, anybody who's on the old Plan B options, Health Plus Extra, like that's going up by 6%, which is on nearly 160 per adult. So yeah. a retired couple on that plan have to find another €320 euro to stay on the same plan. Anybody who's on the old plan D with VHI, well, that retired couple will now have to fork out an extra €520, as you said from the outset. And people might think it's just VHI members, but Leia members, I mean, Leia had an increase of 3% average on the 1st of January, but some of their plans like Simplicity um, and other plans like that went up by 10%. And Irish Life members as well, in fairness, they had their increase back last October. Um, and But everybody, I suppose, renewing on the 1st of April, they're all going to face an increase. And the 1st of April, historically, PJ, is a large, it's a, a large cohort of people re- renewing yeah. this time because a lot of the old civil service schemes renewed on the 1st of April. April so, and August are two big months, aren't they? 
April in particular, absolutely. April yeah. in particular tends to be the biggest renewal time is the 1st of January and then obviously April then is very busy. And then I suppose if I can call it a double whammy for the VHI members is that they are retiring some of their older plans. Now, to be fair to VHI, I understand why they're doing this. There were some gaps, if I can call them that, in some of these older plans. So there were certain things that weren't covered on these older plans and members wanted the cover. So what they've decided to do is to retire those plans, like the One Plan 250 and the One Plan 150, and they're bringing out a new plan range, uh, PJ, called Enhanced Care. And mm. there's, there's four different variations of that plan. And I have to say, it is good cover for the price, and it does close off some of the gaps that were on the previous plans, but the, those plans will cost those consumers an extra 5 to 11%. So, yes, they are enhancing some of the benefits um, and so forth, and they are retiring those plans, so people mm. will have no choice now but to shop around. But there's a sting in the tail in that they're going to have to pay extra for those benefits as well. Yeah. So a lot of people are going to have to shop around now in advance of April, either to find replacement cover or to try and avoid the price increases. So yeah. never a dull moment in health insurance. No. You, you mentioned the shopping around thing, and you've talked about this for years through your own operation, totalhealthcover.ie. We don't realise the importance of shopping around. We let it roll over, and then when we let it roll over, they take us for granted, and the increases get bigger and bigger. That's absolutely it. I mean, the biggest mistake made by Irish consumers, and look, health insurance, I, I get this, health insurance for most people is torture. They dread it each year, phoning all the insurance companies and wading through 330 plans and so on. And what tends to happen is, PJ, it's just left and they auto-renew. And that is the biggest mistake you can make because basically you're doing nothing, which means the insurance companies don't even have to go through any alternatives with you and you're just basically paying more. And here's the catch. People mistakenly believe that if they renew on the same plan, that, okay, they might pay more, but they have the same benefits. That is wrong now, PJ, because, for example, a lot of LEA members are finding that the plan that they have now has 20% uh, reductions or 20% shortfalls on certain orthopedic and ophthalmic procedures. So the mistake you could make is you might renew on the same plan, pay more, think you have the exact same benefits where, uh, in fact, your cover has actually reduced. And what I would say to anybody, any health insurance members, even if you're not inclined to change, I would say to you, phone up your insurance company and all you have to ask them is, look, is my plan the exact same for the coming year as it was last year? Has anything changed? That's all you have to ask them. And now they have to explain to you whether they've changed anything or reduced any benefits. So it just gives you the peace of mind to know that there's been no changes. But I would, I, if I can add to that page, I would say to all of your listeners, when you phone your insurance company, simply say to them, listen, do you have a lower cost equivalent plan to the one I'm on? Simple yeah. as that. And don't be afraid to take on a small excess. And another tip I would give to people is that, and people think they're now, they're, I suppose, shooting themselves in the foot by doing this. Tell the insurance company what your budget is. So if your budget is €1,000 maximum, tell them that. Because it, it means they won't, I suppose, they won't put other plans in front of you that really aren't appropriate. Right. They won't try and upsell you. And here's the thing, unlike car insurance and other insurances where if you tell them your budget, they will they will charge you the full amount, whereas maybe you could have got it for 100 euro cheaper. With health insurance, that doesn't happen. The okay. price of every plan is set centrally. So you're not compromising yourself by doing that. But please pick up the phone and make the insurance companies work for your business and make them go through all the options. Mm. And if you don't like what you hear, just, you know, you can either get advice or phone the other two insurance what? companies. People one one last thing before I let you go, Dermot, briefly, is this. There used to be, and I think it's still there, but I'm sure you'll tell me, if it is a thing that I have, brother, 
sister, cousin, friend working for a large corporate, a corporate that does their health insurance for them. If I get the name of their plan and ring up the provider, I have to get it. Absolutely. And, and, that's, and that's one of the good things about our legislation. Every plan that's on the market is available to everybody. So the three best corporate plans right now, PJ, in the market, Leia Simply Connect Plus, Irish Life 4D Health 2, VHI PMI 3613. They are three of the best semi-private corporate plans. And if anybody's thinking of joining or thinking of upgrading, you know what, no harm checking out those plans because if you like them, the insurance companies will give them to you straight away and you can join them just like anybody And you else. don't have to work for that company. You can Absolutely. just ask them. That's, that's good. I wanted to make sure that was still there. Dermot, I'm out of time. Thank you very much. Your health insurance is going up. Dermot, good. Of totalhealthcover.ie. Your insurance is going up. But if you know someone whose work pays for their insurance, find out the name of the plan and you can get that one. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Corks 96 FM. Quick reminder to you, every Saturday on 96fm.ie and of course on your phone app, we bring you the excitement of the Premier League, powered by TalkSport, our Premier League live show with Trevor Welsh. Back on the 3rd of April, that's uh, the Saturday before Easter, pre-match analysis, live commentary, exclusive interviews and post-match breakdowns. It's the Premier League Live Online with now only pay for the games that matter to you, your sport on your terms with now. And listen Saturdays on the Cork's 96FM app or indeed go to 96FM.ie. Back on the 3rd of April and it's on the app of course every day that you will get our podcast which goes up in mid-afternoon. Every day, between about two and three, we stick it on Twitter first, and it goes on all the various platforms. And if you subscribe to it, you get it free every day. 1850-715-996, the numbers to call the text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. The email, opinion at 96fm.ie. What will you do for the dinner tonight? Will you do a takeaway? Will you run around to... Dino's or McDonald's or the local Chinese or what, get yourself a takeaway. And you'll say, you know what, I've earned it. Another week in lockdown. Another week working from home. Another week not knowing where we'll be in a month's time. Not knowing where we'll be in a week's time, let alone a month's time. We'll betray ourselves to a takeaway. Well, as always, these things bring a craze with them. And the latest craze is trying to do your own takeaway at home trying to recreate the tastes of the takeaway like a spice bag or or buttermilk chicken in your own home so you don't have to go to the takeaway Adrian Martin uh, is with the Wildflower Restaurant in Camden and this is all called Fake Away isn't it Adrian? Good morning Good morning Fisa, how are you? Yeah, Fake Away has been the uh, I suppose the craze of it uh, throughout actually lockdown period and uh, yeah I've, uh, I've never seen as many people uh, want to try and recreate these dishes at home I think they, they're trying a lot more with food even in regards baking as well so yeah oh, well, um, please don't I ever see another loaf of banana bread it'll <laughs> banana be too bread, yeah. it'll be too soon get a bit closer to your phone there if you could yeah you know. like you reckon that any real takeaway favourite can be recreated in, in your own kitchen? 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right, I mean, here's a challenge. Big Mac. Big Mac. <laughs> well, realistically, all a Big Mac is is a smash burger with uh, the cheapest cheese on top and uh, burger sauce and lettuce and in a bun. That's basically it. So no, there's a flavour There's a flavor to it. There's a flavour yeah, to the well, Big Mac. But the, the flavour of the Big Mac actually is the, the sauce. So basically, it's the burger sauce. You have mayonnaise, you have ketchup, and you have a little bit of, um, well, let's try mustard. So basically, you mix Oi. those three together. Yeah, that's it, yes. That's all the Big Mac sauce ah, is. See, I know, I know what the mayonnaise and, and, the, and, the, and the red sauce, but a bit of mustard. Yeah, but the tip, all right, and the, the, the little thing that we forget, right, the pickle that's on the Big Mac, right? You know mm. the juice from the pickle? The yes. slight little bit of the juice in the sauce. That's basically where that, you get that flavour from. So oh. it's kind of acidity. Right. Yeah. So yeah. you could actually put, basically, the bit of, the, put it all in a blender and make it up and you'd have the yeah. sauce. Yeah, well, in a bowl. In a bowl, whisk it with a whisk or a spoon and uh, where you go. But for, for like a Big Mac patty, basically. So the smash burger was made famous in the United States. Um, very simply, is just your beef mints. Uh, the quite fatty beef mints, actually, they use. Uh, and to smash a burger, basically, you don't add any additives. You don't add breadcrumbs. You don't add anything to it. They just literally smash it on the grill with either a spatula or like quite a heavy uh, kind of iron they use. Mm-hmm. And they season it with just salt and pepper. So that would be your patty uh, for it. But the crispiness of the Big Mac is what people go for. So yeah. it's, the, it's the crispy flavour. That's it. Yeah. Now, the humble spice bag. I, yeah, the I spice mean, bag. <laughs> you know, you crawl over broken glass just to sniff these things. You can make them at home. You can, yeah. Well, I did a recipe back years. I think, geez, uh, maybe I was 23 when I did the recipe first. I did a healthy spice bag back when I was 23, and this led it into my full career of releasing a book called Fake Away and everything as well. Um, to make a spice bag similar to the... So you want, we want the unhealthy... Most people are looking for the unhealthy version. To make the, the similar to the unhealthy version of what you're getting in the, in the takeaway... Um, what we do is we make like a batter. So you mix flour and water together, right? And a good batter normally, you, could, you can mix and match with these batters. So you could, um, you know, add sparkling water in there, which gives you more lightness and fluffiness uh, to the batter mixture, makes it more crispy. So basically what we do is we slice up the chicken, we place it into this batter, and then we, we take from this batter into uh, just plain flour, Okay. Once you take from the plain flour, then you go straight into some hot oil and then we deep fry it. And it gives you that crispy uh, texture on the outside of the chicken, which is similar to what you get in the Chinese. Now, a tip for you is the flour that you use makes a massive difference in what kind of crispy texture you get. So the closest to the Chinese is a thing they use as corn flour. So instead of using regular flour, they use corn flour. And it's a thing called velveting. So instead of making a normal batter, with water and flour, they use egg white and corn flour, which is called velveting, so it gives that texture on the outside of the chicken. Then you just fry off your chips. So if you like triple-cooked chips, I think they're quite nice. Mm. Um, you know, you can cook them three times. Just make sure you cool them down, refrigerate them back into the oil, cool them down, refrigerate them back into the oil a third time if you like triple-cooked chips. And then a spice bag, then it's finished then with this spice mixture. So it's like uh, aniseed flavor as well as clove. Uh, salt and chili. So think of those three kind of, they're all umami flavors, basically. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so basically you're looking for, so fresh chilies, I go with. I normally go with garlic, which gives a lovely, so I chop up fresh garlic when I'm making mm. it at home. 
Um, so fresh chilies, a fresh garlic. Uh, I add a little bit of Chinese five spice to it and uh, sea salt. And that's basically your spice mixture. So what you do is you cook your chicken, you cook your chips, uh, you finish it with the spice mixture. If you like onion thrown in there, uh, you throw in your onions. If you like julienne of carrots, normally they, they have in it and you serve it up with a nice curry sauce and away you go. Lovely, lovely. Now there you yeah. go. Um, ch- <laughs> chips chips and curry at home, like it's just anywhere. It's just the best. Now, the, you say that you can kind of create, I'm back at McDonald's, The kind you can kind of <laughs> create the McChicken sandwich with, with bu- buttermilk chicken. What's that? Yeah, um, I mean, it's this craze that's taken off the last two or three years has been buttermilk fried chicken. Um, when you marinate chicken in buttermilk, the texture you get is the softest, silkiest uh, yeah. texture on the inside. But when, when, you, when you take it from the buttermilk and into a flour mixture, such as they call it a dredge, uh, when you dredge the chicken and then you fry it, it gives the ultimate crispy texture on the outside. So you've got silky, soft, smooth chicken on the inside mm. and crispy, ridiculously crispy chicken on the outside. So it's taken a craze. So basically what you do is you butterfly your chicken. Uh, so take a, a regular Irish chicken fillet, butterfly it into some buttermilk. So you leave that. I'd normally leave it for about two hours just to, to see. But overnight, we'd always recommend overnight. Mm. You, get the best, uh, you get the best results from overnight. Um, then into your dredge. So I'd go with Cajun spice into the dredge. So we have plain flour, Cajun spice, and salt in your dredge. Right. And you take your chicken out of the buttermilk, and you dip it into the dredge, and then you just deep fry it, or you fry it in, you can shallow fry it in oil, or you can bake it with a little drizzle of oil over it as well. Um, and then you just serve it up. I normally serve it with like a sweet chili mayonnaise. Mm-hmm. So you just literally mix uh, a couple of tablespoons of sweet chili into uh, some mayonnaise, mm. Uh, on a brioche bun toasted, smell it. smoked bacon. Uh, you know, you could go on there with a nice smell you know, tomato, lettuce. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm actually starving now. Talking about <laughs> I can smell it, man. I really. <laughs> yeah, so the crispiness is the, is the key to that. Yeah. And that would be the closest thing. I mean, the chicken sandwich obviously is blended up chicken on the inside. But yeah. There's nothing better than, the, I mean, the texture of proper you know, chicken fillet, that's done right. Yeah. Um, question in here from a listener, Adrian, can you use gluten-free flour for batter? You can, yeah. Yeah, I mean, gluten-free flour. My, my girlfriend's a celiac, actually, uh, Hannah. So um, I take every recipe, basically known to man that's there, and I have to make it gluten-free for her. She's very, very sensitive to it. Uh, uh, she can't eat flour or gluten at all, so she right. can't. So, uh, yeah, just basically substitute uh, your flour... So, for instance, I would use uh, the Odlum's Tritamil flour, which okay. is great. It's very, very versatile. So I would put that into any recipe. And uh, just also when you're selecting uh, foods and ingredients that are gluten-free, just make sure you check the ingredients on the back of the pack and it states that it's gluten-free. Because sometimes these ingredients are made in uh, factories and things that, you know, they contain gluten, which yeah. they can be quite sensitive as well. So you do have to be quite careful what you select. Don't Don't these... Various gluten-free elements don't they make it sticky? Don't this things get? It's different. It's a different process, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like there is, there is a. Um, I mean, to make in flour is a completely different process. Uh, to uh, for instance, so they would use like tapioca starch is what they use to make um, to make flour uh, gluten-free flour. Uh, so that's how they get the results. Where we would use, say, you know, our wheat for regular flour. So. 
I mean, recipes do change slightly uh, to be gluten-free. But for instance, actually, I'm making profiteroles in the six o'clock show tonight on Virgin Media. Um, If you, I've made the same recipe. So my regular profiterole recipe, which we did in college back when I was in Kevin Street in DIT, um, we. I took that recipe and I made it gluten-free with just plain gluten-free uh, trilemon flour from Odlums. And we ended up with actually a better result. You get a softer, you actually get a smoother texture on the outside. So sometimes yeah. it's actually better when you change it and you try it with something different. You end up nearly with a better result sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes but, then it's the opposite. Sometimes it might not work. And that's when you need to add things in like exanthan gums and things to stabilize the flour. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. Cause it does, it, does it not stick to everything, gluten-free stuff? Uh, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't stick to everything. No, no, it doesn't. <laughs> you get used to it. <laughs> um, now, very popular is uh, street food, Asian food, yeah. noodles and stuff. Yeah, can you yeah, recreate pretty. those? You can. Yeah, I mean, I did a dish there recently. It's called Dan Dan noodles. Um, would be it's a it's a Szechuan dish from China, and basically the Dan Dan noodle uh, dish gets its name from the it's like this pole they have made of bamboo mm-hmm. and it's a street food dish basically where they so, so the dandan pole was used to carry on one side the ingredients in a basket and on the other side they had their pots and pans and equipment and basically they carry this pole with them they sit down on the street they have a little stove they have all these little things and they whip up like these street food dishes like noodles and everything so if they can do it on the street why can't we do it at home in our own kitchen um so I've done a, a variation of it. It's on my website, chefagent.ie. It's called Chicken Dandan Noodles, where we slice up the chicken really, really uh, small. So we, like, dice it till it's almost, like, minuscule, uh, should I say. Uh, we pan fry that, which is a little bit of salt, and then we add things like oyster sauce, soy sauce to it. Um, and we, we set that aside. So in the same pan, then, you do your, your sauce. So we have, it's a thing called tahini, which is seen in hummus. Mm. Uh, we have a little bit of peanut butter, so it gives you kind of like that almost satay kind of feel to it. And uh, we add a little bit more soy sauce to that and garlic. And that's a very simple sauce. So you have your chicken, which is uh, cooked in oyster and soy sauce. You have your sauce, which is kind of peanutty. And then you have then noodles on the side. So they would use udon noodles for this. So you see these in all the shops. But mm. rice noodles work just as good. Uh, the trick to cooking noodles, most of us would boil up a big saucepan, throw the noodles in and cook it like spaghetti and they end Three up minutes, like... Yeah. Um, yeah, they well, they end up like plaster most of the time or they fall apart or they're not great. So the, the trick to cooking noodles is you boil your kettle, you place your noodles into a bowl and you pour that boiling water over the noodles and then r- cover it. So either cover it with a lid or cover it with, I use cling film, right. and leave it to set aside for about five to eight minutes. So once you once you have like everything kind of ready to go, do your noodles. Your noodles will be ready in no time. You don't have to look at them. You don't have to worry about them at all. They'll just absorb and the water and away with you. Yeah, just drain off the water. I normally add a little bit of salt and, and uh, soy sauce to it, and you serve everything up. So this dish is done with noodles in the bowl. You have the peanut sauce, you have the chicken, and then a little bit of pak choy or bok choy. Mm. Uh, steamed on the side it's really a, really good you'll have a load of people you'll have a load of people trying this now over the weekend and then ringing me Monday morning uh, to tell me <laughs> to tell me how it went your own place is going well it, it, well I don't know how you're getting through pandemic but the wildflower tell us about that yeah uh, I opened wildflower restaurant in Camden Market in London uh, the 7th of March last year 
<laughs> so uh, we opened for seven days. Um, I spent about a year. Uh, it's myself, my dad, and my brother. The three of us were going over and back to Camden uh, in 2019 to start. It's a, a completely new build, so it's in a shipping container. It's the first fine dining restaurant in the UK in a shipping container. And uh, we took two containers, we welded them together, and we planted them in on this uh, site uh, off Camden High Street in London. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we renovated the whole thing. A great, a great spot for that kind of adventure, but sure, COVID yeah. had other ideas. I know, yeah. So we, we uh, closed officially on Paddy's Day uh, last year. And uh, we reopened. Look, we've been open and shut throughout the lockdown uh, altogether. We're reopening now in May the 18th, coming up uh, shortly. Mm. Uh, you know, it's great. Uh, one thing I'll say is it was great to give us a kind of roadmap until when we can reopen. And yeah. it's given me something to work towards. Good. Otherwise, I was just going mad inside, yeah. to be honest with you. I, I think a lot uh, of people over here with their with their own restaurants would like some certainty of that nature here from our own our own government. Thanks very much. Listen, it's great talking to you. Great talking yeah. to you, Adrian. And thanks very no much. Thank Cheers. you. Cheers for that. Cheers. Me. Try some of those ideas yourself over the weekend. Uh, Adrian Martin. Uh, fake away it's called making your own takeaway at home 1850-715-996 I was going to get on to about sort of things like the, 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 the Dino's King Dino burger and all that we'll be here all day um, he does Kentucky Fried Chicken but I, want, I wonder does he do flaming Pig in the Spud if you've been there you know what it is flaming Pig in the Spud on your way home, Casey's, flaming pig in the spud, you wake up minus two fingers. <laughs> I wonder can he do that one? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833-969696. On Cork's 96FM. Don't have to tell you how beloved of Cork people Marymount Hospice is and at a time when so many fundraising activities are curtailed by COVID-19. It's great to see other ideas coming to the fore to try to raise money for Marymount. Padre Lane, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. Thanks Tell me about... Me. Delighted. Tell me about Roots for Life. Um, so, I suppose it all started in September. We're part of a, a society in UCC called Enactus, which comes up with um, social entrepreneurial ideas to solve social issues. And um, we Obviously, it was in the midst of a pandemic, so we'd come up with ideas. So a group of us got together, the 10 of us in the group, and we decided to set up a kind of gardening, eco-friendly business in aid of Marymount Hospice. So we're selling uh, vegetable and flower seeds in aid of the hospice. So all our profits go directly to Marymount, and all our time then is just volunteered. So and, and where can people buy this stuff for Marymount? So if you look up UCC Roots for Life on Facebook or Instagram, there's a link to our Shopify account. Right. And you can go onto our Shopify and you can um, buy the seeds there and then we post them to you. And you're just encouraging people to plant them in their own back gardens? Yes, yeah. So, Window boxes, uh, yeah. Yeah, so um, 
I know probably doesn't suit everyone, but anyone who has a bit of a garden up their back or whatever, they can um, plant away, you know. Well, we're all being encouraged to plant more stuff at the moment anyway. That's it. And, like, it's a beautiful day out there today. So, I mean, it's kind of going to that time of year where you're kind of thinking about your garden and, you know, growing veg and stuff like that. So we were just saying now is the time of year to kind of push it, you know. Okay. Give me that email address or that uh, address again. So it's UCC Roots for Life. UCC or, Roots for Life. If you look that up on Facebook or Instagram, or else if you um, type in www.rootsforlife.ie, it'll bring, yeah. bring you directly to our Shopify account as well. Interested in, you You say you're all sustainable. How's that done? So um, all our packaging is recycled. Okay. And, um, and everything we do, we try to be as sustainable as possible. So we bought... Um, organic uh, seeds where possible and then some of our seeds wouldn't be organic but uh, we, we try to minimise waste as, as much as possible and we're also um, organising a lecture with the, a sustainability lecture in UCC to go around to TY students in the Cork area at the moment obviously they're out of school but once they come back into school uh, we're going to host that interactively on Zoom right. so we're going to teach them about local ecology and the sustainability in their local area and Excellent. try to encourage them to get involved in their local tidy towns. Right. That's so, um, yeah. So, uh, at, uh, obviously, with the pandemic at the moment, that's a bit. Um, we'll have to wait until they're back in school. But uh, yeah. So we're, we're looking forward to once the TY students are back in school to yeah. host those lectures and try to give a kind of an overview of local ecology and sustainability for those uh, TY students. And and all proceeds going directly to Mary Mount Roots for Life. That's Padder Lane. Thank you very much, Padder. Rootsforlife.ie or UCC Roots for Life. All sustainable, all recyclable containers, the whole lot. Just wanted to give them a mention. But I need to go straight away, is it Terry, to line six, because I'm joined on the line by Antishuk Michal Martin. Antishuk, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Good, good to talk to you. Tell me about this massive investment for Cork, 405 million euro you're announcing it this morning absolutely yeah it, it, it's very big news for cork uh, it's uh, 353 million of that is for the cork docklands project uh, which will involve the design and and and, and development of th- three bridges um across the lee and particularly the eastern gateway bridge the new marina park also a lot of flood relief works and uh, infrastructure work that will enable the residential uh, buildings to be built and the commercial buildings, but also the immunity and the public realm, like mm. uh, cycleways and greenways and walkways all along the Docklands. Is this so, the Docklands project we first looked at a number of years ago, Taoiseach, yeah. brought to a modern version? Correct. And it's more importantly, there's flesh on the bone. There's funding behind it. We're giving certainty to the local authority who will add 100 million to it. They're going to match the 400 with 100 million. Uh, it also involves the, the, the three five trees for the Docklands, but then there's 47 million for the Grand Parade, which is a fabulous mm. project. What's going to happen there? A new library. Um, and then we're going to create a new plaza um, and a new boardwalk the whole way up. Um, and uh, Bishop Lucy Park will be um, completely upgraded. Um, and redeveloped uh, and like the Grand Parade is going to become a very exciting um, location um, Passage West Ring Skiddy and Carrigal Line will, will get up to a million in terms of um, refurbishment there of the towns and so on uh, and also um, Mallow is getting 4 million in terms of 4.7 million in terms of its refurbishment mm-hmm. so uh, it, it's part of the, the, the uh, URDF under the Urban Regeneration Development Fund it's the largest allocation uh, so far and called to across the country mm. Where is this money coming from Tishuk? 
it's coming from the government. Um, it's provided from the budget, um, and um, it's it's designed really to meet our national objectives in terms of really developing the cities outside of Dublin and, and developing the regional cities, and making sure that we can that we can create living space and workspace within the city itself. Mm. Uh, because the new, I think, planning objective is around compact cities. We already have services in the cities. You know, we have all the basic utilities in place. Uh, it makes sense then that we would develop an area like the Docklands that can provide a lot of residential opportunities, mm. a lot of recreational opportunities, and, and uh, office space as well in terms of future work. And will there be things like, things like public transport to go along with this? Yes, that will have, that will be separate funding uh, in, in relation to the public transport side of it, uh, particularly in terms of light rail and in terms of um, the development of the from, from Middleton right up uh, through Carrick Tool and connecting the city with with, with with those towns and with Mallow and improving the railroad lines there. I know Eamon Ryan has significant plans for that, um, and that will come out of uh, separate pots, so to speak. Mm. So it's all integrated, and the idea would be then that you connect the docklands with the train station, for example, um, and, and to, the, to the northern side of the Lee uh, in terms of access to the docklands through those bridges that I referenced earlier. Mm-hmm. You will recall over 10 years ago we were talking about the Eastern Gateway we Bridge. We were. That's, that's the, um, and then things went a different way, but now we have the funding in place to enable that bridge to be built. Um, and, and the detailed work will, will now take place. Any, so, any timescale when we might see shovels in the ground, as it were? Well, I mean, it's 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 green light now. Uh, obviously, there will be planning um, applications and so forth, but uh, a lot of work will start fairly quickly. And uh, just speaking to the Lord Mayor um, and to the City Manager there in respect of that issue, uh, we know we've got to make sure we deliver this. Um, and... Um, yeah, I mean, is there is, it, is it, there a delivery time frame, Taoiseach? Like, is it over five years, over ten years? What? I will be over a number. It'll be over a number of years. Um, but the important point is, we've given them the money to to go away and do it, you know, and get it done, mm. um, uh, and we're given the certainty around that funding, uh, rather than drip feeding it out and so on. We're saying, here's what you're getting now for the Docklands. So the money's there. Kind of off you go now and get this developed and get this delivered, you know. Great, uh, great. And I think it's very good news for Cork and uh, I'm very pleased about it because I think it, I think it is transformative and it will make a big difference into the future because it will create, it will be a catalyst for further private sector investment. They now know that the infrastructure is being done in the Docklands that will enable um, people to come on, on board in terms of, of, of individual developments. And also I think what I'm very interested in is to make sure that it's a very livable quarter that we have really top-class uh, recreational uh, facilities through the marina park, uh, through the walkways uh, and, and greenways that will upgrade that whole um, uh, walkway that we currently have, the marina and down towards uh, you know, the estuary and so forth. That uh, I think there's an opportunity here as well to modernise that, upgrade it, uh, and, and really give a first-class facility for the people of Cork. Very, very positive news, and I'm sure we'll read more into it over the, the, the days and weeks and months ahead, Taoiseach. Be- before I have, or while I still have you there, just a question, seeing as Europe now says it's OK again, when might we, might, might we start seeing the AstraZeneca vaccine going back into people's arms? Well, I'd like to see a decision at some stage by the, by, by the end of the day. Um, I think the mayor are finalising some of their work in relation to materialist that has to go on an, inf- on an information leaflet that will have to be attached to, uh, or presented to people as they're getting the vaccine. Uh, but I know that the HSC are already gearing up to prepare for a very quick resumption uh, of the administering of the... Of, of, say by of this day week, maybe? I know I'd like to do it sooner. 
we'd, we'd, we'd much prefer to be doing this sooner now. You know, okay, uh, all right. Within days. Okay. Um, I know. just wanted to ask you that so, while well, I had the opportunity. No, very important. And also, I just want to say generally to people, your, your people are going through a very tough time. It's, it's very, very difficult. Um, and I just want to say to people, look, we'll be making further decisions before the 5th of April. But quarter two is, it will be a strong quarter for vaccine administration. The volumes will be much higher than quarter one. Um, and I think we'll be in a good space uh, as we move into April and May okay, in terms so of vaccine rollout. I think it's important that people just have that sense of um, certainty around that too and hope. Okay, all right. And, and good to have that as well. And thank you, uh, Taoiseach. You just hear that's a major story for Cork. Major announcement just been made literally in the last half an hour at a press conference in Cork. 405 million euro for urban regeneration. Massive money, 350-odd for the Docklands, 47 million for the Grand Parade in the surrounding area, 4.7 million out to Mallow, and nearly a million between Passage West Ring and Skiddy Carrig Line. We've heard all these announcements before, and you know what? Sometimes they actually deliver on them. And this one is really exciting, and you've heard it here as they were first live on the Opinion Line with Antishuk Michal Martin here on Cork's 96FM. Just to go through some of the stuff that's in that announcement the Taoiseach just made this morning. You've heard it here first on the opinion line with the Taoiseach live on Cork's 96 FM. 350 odd for the Docklands. Marina Park, uh, public ground space down the Keys, sports, recreation, flood protection, transport upgrade. Grand Parade will get a new library new plaza for culture and recreation. Bishop, Bishop Lucy Park to be uh, done up and all of that. Out in Mallow, a visitor destination, public realm plan for Davis Street, laneways, new developments, loads of them. Down around Passage West, Ring of Skiddy, Carrigal Line, there'll be rerouting of traffic around Carrigal Line Main Street. That's coming at last. People are looking for that since Michael Michal Martin himself was in nappies. But it's there uh, in, this, in this package. Now, people are saying nothing for the north side, apart from Glenmire getting something out of the Docklands and not a whole pile for the southwest of the city either. As you look into this, I suppose, and the detail will filter out over the next few days. The other thing is there's no mention in it, as far as I can see, of the event centre. Now, I thought about putting that question to the Taoiseach where the event centre is, but I think we're sick, tired, sore and sorry of asking about the blasted event centre. It'll come if it comes, and if it doesn't, it won't. And people doubt it more every year that we ever will see the event centre. But look, let's focus on the positive as well. Four hundred and five million announced today for various um, regeneration projects around Cork City and County, and we're supposed to accentuate the positive, as it were, as much as we we can. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. That button stuck, Terry. Thanks. You want me to go to line five? Is it okay, Dep- uh, Deputy Thomas Gould, Sinn Fein? Thomas, good morning. Good morning, TJ. You're listening to us about the package of measures. Yeah, I, I tell you, PJ, I, I actually cannot believe what I'm hearing now. I'm listening to the T-shirt on announcing 400 million for Cork and virtually nothing for the North Sea. It's unbelievable that I, I, I'm actually sick and tired of a PJ. 400 million being announced, no greenways, no new paths, no new roads. Uh, what's coming to the North Sea? And the T-shirt on here, and I know now. You're saying we have to accentuate the, the positives. Mm. But it's about time that we are treated the same, that the investment is put in up here. I think it's an absolute scandal. What, what would you have been hoping to see in it, Thomas? I tell you, PJ, 
The simplicity anyway, he should have announced the reopening of South Dock and Pat Woodless after the ball rolling. Then the, the next major project is the Northern Ring Road because we can't get jobs, we can't get investment in our communities because we don't have the infrastructure. They're talking about parks and greenways. I'm, uh, there's, there's areas like Murphy's Rock, there's areas like uh, the old Debackley Road. Like, there's huge areas in the north side where you have um, lovely green spaces where you could walk with cycle lanes, new parks. Like, you mentioned the Marina Park and you mentioned the Tremor Valley Park. Where's the park on the north side being invested in? Mm. I, I, I tell you, PJ, I'm absolutely sick of it. And it just goes to show you what Mihal Martin and this government think of the north side. A few weeks ago, there was another announcement about millions coming to Cork to be spent on road infrastructure works. Mm. 31 of them were on the north, on the south side, and 12 were on the north side. Like, mm. it's about time. I'm not looking for anything extra. And people are always on, say, some people say to me, you're always on about the north side. All I'm looking for is fairness. That if there's money spent in the south side, there's also money spent in the north side. Like 400 million. And please, how much is being spent in the north side? Well, to be fair, looking at it as it's written down in front of me, and I suppose the devil will be in the detail, but what's down in front of me is 350 for the Docklands, which is south side, 47 or 46 for the Grand Parade of the Library, which is south side. Uh, yeah, city centre, south that, city side. Center. And then Passage West, Ring of Skiddy, Carrig Line, all harbour areas. And, so and nothing there for the, the north side. And PJ, I'm making the point, right? And like, I ran, when I ran for election, I ran about to end the neglect of the north side. That all we're looking for is a bit of fairness. Mm. Like, how are we going to get more houses? There was, an, there was an announcement yesterday of Flynn developers are building 300 and odd houses now on the Ballyhooley Road. Yeah. No, if anyone ever drove, like, you know Valley Hooley Road, where you drive from Ballyvillain to the Stirrup Bear. Mm. Like, no infrastructure, no footpaths, no transport, no bus service, uh, all by roads. Like, there's people living in Kilcully, Upper Glamwell, Raccoonie, all these areas. Mm-hmm. No Northern Ring Road. And to be honest, I think the next time that you have the Taoiseach on, I'd love to come on and challenge him about the neglect of the North Side and how all we're looking for is a bit of fairness. Do you intend to bring this up in the door, Thomas? 100% PJ. Soon, like we're up there next week, but the problem for me at the moment is the government is restricting our speaking times. So if I, the only time I have an opportunity to speak to the Taoiseach is on a Tuesday, and if I'm not selected, yes. I, it's... Like, oh, you've been trying to speak to the Taoiseach since January, and because of the limited times, because the government are using COVID to limit the times the dial is sitting and we're speaking, which means we're not going to have to ask them the hard questions, because they don't want us asking them the right. hard questions. But looking at this here anyway, and you're saying, to be fair, I think what you're saying very definitely, Thomas, is that, look, you don't begrudge the north, the, the south side, any, any of this, but things like, and I'm just a, a non-exhaustive list here, park and ride, light rail, a proper business park with tech, high-tech facilities, education, campus, recreation, parks, all other sorts. The, the north side and, and the north ring road sitting there undeveloped for years. You're just disappointed that none of that is in here. Because we've been on about the park road for the north side for 30 years. Ain't no that the truth. Right there. 
we've been on about, I, I, like, I, I recently had a meeting with UCC about developing the campus and they've also written to the, the new, uh, the OCIT about setting up a campus on the north side to get more people into third level. Like, when, when you talk, when I talk about the north side, people might think it's from Lachnaheeny to, to Mayfield. But I'm not, I'm talking no, about... That's a vast area. Uh, all of which come into Cork North Central and the, and the Greater North Side. I'm going to leave it there. I've no doubt that we will come back to this, but it's just an instant reaction. Thomas Gould, Sinn Féin TD for Cork North Central, just responding to the Taoiseach's live interview on the opinion line a few minutes ago. He announced this investment of $405 million for urban regeneration in Cork over the next number of years, to which uh, Deputy Gould says, hang on a second... What about the north side? What about us? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. We're going to get some news at, around or towards the Easter weekend. The general speculation is that the Taoiseach will make an announcement around about Good Friday as to what is to happen after April 5th, which of course is Monday, Easter Monday. We need to know what's happening in the next phase. We've been told nothing spectacular will happen, which is very worrying for a lot of people, including the staff and directors at Photo Wildlife Park. Sean McKeown's the director down there. Sean, good morning. Good morning. If you don't get open after Easter, you're doomed. Is it as black and white as that? No, 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 no. Um, it's, it, it's more what happens after that in, in terms of um, the restrictions going into June and perhaps to the end of summer. That's, that's the situation. Uh, right. Um, we, we did have um, what we we had restrictions and we were closed uh, last year yeah. for about for about two months during uh, March till uh, the twenty second of May, and after that we you know we um, had uh, an increase in, in in visitor numbers in June, uh, a best ever June. Uh, we did right. very well in July and August, and we had a best ever September. Right, um, and that 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 saved. But you, but you need what you're saying is you need to be open for the summer months. I think yeah. some of the, some of the newspaper headlines were quite misleading this morning because the impression was given that uh, Neffet has said there'll be no lifting of restrictions right into June. Yes. Now yeah. I think to be fair, Ronan Glynn was misquoted on the newspapers. Here's what he actually said. Okay. I'm not going to say that we need tight restrictions because the headline tomorrow morning is Neffet says no easing and restrictions, and so. You know, uh, we need to be cautious. We need to what we what we need to do is avoid another wave of this disease between now and June. So he hasn't said there will be restrictions up into June, but you would think, would you not, that with with increasing vaccinations and yours being an outdoor visiting, that you should be able to get get open. Yeah, we would hope to be open much sooner than that because we were open um, during the second wave as well. Uh, without any issues or incidents, and um, we opened quite early um, during uh, the first wave. At you know, and we were still in mm. 
At what point did you get open last year when we started reopening again in, in we, May? We reopened when there were still five kilometre restrictions. Um, right. So the same period as, as, as the, um, I suppose, the um, open air markets, the people like B&Q and all, all those. And they, um, the idea is that, you know, we'd like to open at a similar phase. Right. Uh, so, so if restrictions, what you're saying, if restrictions were to carry on too deep into the summer, it, it could cause serious problems for you. Yeah, and it's not just about us being open. It's yeah. it's it's the hospitality that uh, over 50% of our visitors would be from um, using accommodation to, uh, and holidaying in the area. So it has a huge carry-on effect on, yeah. on, on um, the people that would visit the park. Right. Uh, and uh, it was an increase. And how quickly do you need to know, Sean? Um, I understand the difficulty around, um, you know, the virus. It's very hard to predict how how it goes. But I think it would be it would be uh, some some sort of time frame set out now where people would you know hope to be that give us some idea to plan. Yeah. I mean, even at the last. Uh, Reopening scenarios uh, in, in when we went into phase one of the or, or um, phase one of the pandemic last yeah. year, um, that we we had a roadmap and yeah. uh, it did. You know there were changes in that. Um, some beneficial, some some. The teacher just speaking to me there this morning on the program. I briefly asked him about about where we're going, and he said that before an announcement is made at Easter, there's a lot more to be decided. So I get the impression from him we will get more information at, before the Easter weekend. And what I think you're he- I'm hearing from you, Sean, at, at Photo Wildlife Park is in there needs to be some kind of, like you said, a roadmap, a way that you can plan. Yes. Yes. Right. Uh, and and I think that that's. That's um, not only for here, but also the accommodation providers, um, the you know the hotels. The I think to be fair, there must be thousands of businesses waiting yeah. upon a plan of that. Yeah. At the moment, at, at the moment, there's nothing, and and that is the worrying thing. All right, going to leave it there, Sean, and we will catch up again. Have no doubt. So that effectively, what he is saying is that they need to know, and they need to know soon what the plan is to get Fota open again. Will it be early summer? Will it be into the summer? How is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? They want to know and they want to know soon because if they don't know soon, the future is in doubt for Fulton Wildlife Park. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.